0: Well, uh, I did something today that happens from time to time and that I think probably drives um, Steve Klink a little bit nuts. Um, I rewrote my sermon last night. <laughs> um, it, really, it happens more often than I'd like to admit, but. Um, this one was for a very particular reason, um, which is that last year the world received news that a young uh, theologian and Christian writer named Rachel Held Evans had passed away at the age of 37. And it has come to kind of a shock to the world. Um, a few weeks ago, she went in for an illness that was a pretty standard illness, and news started coming out that it, her illness had escalated very, very quickly. And I, I wanted to change the sermon, not because you all know who, knew who she was, although our Lenten study book almost was one of her books. I was weighing the options Um, but because rachel for a younger crowd of christians who want a more open and welcoming church has become maybe the most important thinker um, around the future of christianity Um, certainly in the handful of people and so i wanted to just talk about her a little bit and shape this sermon around her legacy and who she was and her thought um, she was, for a lot of people, this gateway, um, a kind of gateway to finding a more loving and accepting Christianity. Uh, I don't think this will shock most people, but the church has a bad reputation in some circles of being kind of an exclusive, uh, closed-minded organization. And I don't mean that all Christians are that way. I just mean that if you asked an average non-churchgoer, that's what they would, you would hear that more than once. And so whether it has been intentional or not, uh, the theology of the church, it it has been used to drive exclusion of certain groups of people or hatred, or it has been used to stigmatize certain groups of people. It has basically presented a God that is judgmental and uh, frankly, kind of mean. And so over the years, this has driven a lot of people away from church. And we've probably all heard these stories before. I don't think I'm telling you anything that is, I hope I'm not telling you anything shocking. I don't know if you knew this, but people have left the church. <laughs> but if you go online today and you look up this person, Rachel Held Evans, you will see lots and lots of posts in memory of her that are people saying, you're the reason I stayed. You're the reason why I didn't give up faith completely. Um, And that message is, and I, I don't mean you'll see a couple posts, I mean you'll see hundreds of posts of people who describe her as this person who allowed them to keep their faith despite what they saw as judgment and hypocrisy in their churches. So she was able to present a Christianity that welcomed all people regardless of things like sexual orientation or identity or religious beliefs or gender expression. She provided a space for people to, who dreamed of a new and more welcoming and inclusive Christianity to, to hang out while the church has gone through somewhat of a transformation. And so I wanted to talk about her a little bit today because while many of us here haven't heard of her, I think that she really does speak for what is the coming generation of Christians in our world. And I wanted to quote at length this one um, quote. She has, one of her books was called A Year of Biblical Womanhood. Um, so she set out to spend a year trying to live by all of the precepts that the Bible sets up for women. And there's a really funny picture of her, and I should have sent it to Steve when I didn't, where you know the Bible says that you should lift up and celebrate your husband in the public. And so there's a sign of her on the side of the road in Tennessee holding up a sign that says, Dan is awesome. And so what she was trying to say was that Christianity has been interpreted as this narrow thing, but it could be so much wider. And so I want to read you this long quote from her book. She writes, if you are looking for verses with which to support slavery, you will find them. If you are looking for verses with which to abolish slavery, you will find them. And if you are looking for verses with which to oppress women, you will find them. And if you are looking for verses with which to liberate or honor women, you will find them. If you are looking for reasons to wage war, you will find them. If you are looking for reasons to promote peace, you will find them. If you are looking for an outdated, irrelevant, ancient text, you will find it. If you are looking for truth, believe me, you will find it. This is why there are times when the most instructive question to bring to the text is not, what does it say, but what am I looking for? I suspect Jesus knew this when he said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. If you want to do violence in this world, you will always find the weapons. And if you want to heal, you will always find the bomb. End quote. So Rachel speaks to this thing that is happening in the church, this transformation that is going on. And it is a reminder that there is often in the church a need for conversion, for us to change what it is we bring to the Bible, to change what it is we're looking for, to be converted by the living Christ who comes to us. The heart of the church and of Christians, at times, grows hard. We know this. The scripture tells us that that we will, if we're not careful, grow hard to the world, that we will decrease in compassion. And so we read this need to be converted, not by the cross as a symbol of power, but by the cross as a symbol of Christ's solidarity with the suffering, that God came to be with us in our pain. And in our loss. And so as the church goes through this process of conversion, I mourn the loss of Rachel Held Evans because she provided the space for people to feel safe while the church goes through this conversation. But this message of conversion is poignant today in the church, but it is especially poignant because our lectionary reading today tells of conversion of somebody whose life was radically transformed by the presence of Christ. And so I invite you to join me in hearing this scripture from the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found anyone who belonged to the way, men or women he might bring them bound to jerusalem now as he was going along and approaching damascus suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him saul saul why do you persecute me he asked who are you lord and the reply came i am jesus whom you are persecuting but get up and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do the men who were traveling with him him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. And Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias... And he answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, "Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show you how much he must. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name." So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, "Brother Saul." the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then they got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained regained his strength. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues saying, he is the son of God. May God bless this reading. So I have always just been fascinated by this event. Um, It is the thing in my own reading of Scripture that I feel like I come back to. I I actually think this is the second time I've talked about this in this church. Um, I've been here four months, and I've already covered this story twice. But this conversion of Saul... This person who, when confronted with the image of the persecuted Christ on the side of the road, is forced to rethink everything his life is about. To rethink what he has given his life to. And I have often wondered what it was that that he saw on the road. I know it says he saw Jesus, but Paul didn't follow Jesus. He didn't necessarily know what he looked like. And so I think, what, what was the image of the risen Savior? What did he look like to Paul? And I have this image in my mind that, you know what Paul saw? Was Paul saw the last person he had persecuted. The last person who had died at his hands. Crying out to him, why do you persecute me? Because in this event, Paul becomes face to face with the reality of his life all of the justifications he gives for why he does what he does, the letter that he's gotten from the high priests, all of the reasons he has said that he needs to be doing this work, it just, it falls away and he is face to face with those whom he has persecuted. You know, once we become face to face with the persecution that our lives can get entangled with, there comes a need to reevaluate what it is we place our emphasis on in life, to reconceive of what our place is. And so it is important to notice what it is that has transformed Paul, what has called upon Paul's conversion, what in the great turn of phrase in the scripture has allowed Paul to see even as he loses his eyesight. You see, Paul, up until this point, has lived his life as a very holy man. Paul has said, I, there's, you will not find another more observant person than me. And as we talked about last week, so much of the council and the religion of this time is about this need to control. That these these religious leaders have found a place within the empire that allows them to to maintain their own privilege. And Paul is one of these leaders. Paul is one of these people who does not want to rock the boat too much. And so his life has been organized around these principles, control, maintenance of the status quo, self-interest. And unfortunately, there have been victims. Because of this need to control, there have been people who have needed to be pushed aside there are people who are downtrodden because of this need to continue his own privilege. And so today when I think what is it that Paul sees, the part that reverberates, it is precisely those victims which bring about the change in Paul. It is precisely the suffering that changes who Paul is. In the gospel, that Jesus comes to us in the form that he does is important. We skip over it. We turn Jesus into a generic human being who could be just any man on the street. But the scripture tells us very specific things about who Jesus was. And it's important because Jesus easily, Jesus as the embodiment of God on earth, the incarnated God, could have come as a king or a ruler or a merchant or a wise man, or any number of things, right? But he didn't. He was born to a carpenter. He was born into a family that quickly became refugees who had to flee their homeland because of violence. He was from a place called Nazareth, which according to scripture is a place you don't want to be from. And even going back to the birth, God could have been born in a temple or a castle or an armament. Or frankly, he could have been born in a house. right? Jesus isn't even born in a house. He was born in a stable because no one made room for them, because they had nowhere else to stay. And so it matters that this is how Jesus comes to us, because it signals to us what the good news is about it calls for us to reassess what our lives are about, what we live for. Are we aligned with God's work in the world, which which is work for those who are outcasts, those who suffer, those who are excluded? We read in the Gospels that it is a work for those who have no place to lay their heads, or those who have to flee their homes because of violence. That Christ comes to us that way matters. And so this is what Paul has to do on that road. He has to come face to face with the suffering Christ. He has to see his God in the image, not of the all-powerful, almighty person pulling all the strings, but in the face of those whom he himself has caused harm to. So there's a Winston Churchill quote that says, the history is written by the victors. And I would say that Christ calls us to recognize all of the people who are left out of our history books, the people who the story isn't about, are the people Christ identifies with. And so we are called to be transformed by these images, by the victims, by suffering. The theologian John Sabrino calls these people in our world the crucified of history, those who have suffered unjust deaths or pain. from these places, Christ calls out to the world, why do you persecute me? It's the call that Christ makes to each one of us. It's a call that Christ makes to us to ask that we reanalyze what our lives are about, that we refocus what it is we think is important that we reimagine how it is we live in the world, not around our own self-interested power or even the privilege that we're not aware of. But that call, why do you persecute me, is a call to look at the margins, to look where we don't normally look, to look at those who have been excluded or who have been hurt or who suffer or who have been left out. Because those are the people that when God decides to be with us, those are the people God goes to be with. And so Acts tells the story of the formation of the church, of the coming together of all of those who, have, who had followed Christ as they try to figure out what does it mean now to live in community. And within this story of figuring out how do we be the community of God, there is the story of the conversion of Paul. The story that fits into the, the story of the church as this call to be constantly transformed. It tells the story of the expansion of the covenant, of the inclusion of the Gentiles, of the ways in which the covenant is opening, expanding, getting bigger. And it tells the story of Christ's transformative power. We, as Christians, are called to look towards that and allow ourselves to be transformed by the living Christ. And so we in the, in the church gathered, the church in America, the church in the world, we are going through major transformations. I, as a church, we, all, we, we talk about this as an institutional problem, and it is, right? Churches have budgets, and we have things that we, attendance is down, and we go through all the, the questions of institutional viability. And that is part of the crisis, for sure, of faith in America. But the transition that's happening in the church is frankly as much about values and privilege as it is about anything else. You know, there's a younger generation, I'm part of it, that has grown up in a world that is just much, much more plural than any world that anybody has grown up in before. There are people of different faiths, nationalities, ethnicities, sexual identities, genders, I can go on and on and on. And the fact that we have grown up in this world means that many people simply will not tolerate a a Christianity that cannot accept those people for who they are. And so lots and lots of people have left the church over this. And more are still leaving. And they're leaving because Christians are seen as closed-minded or exclusive or causing harm in the world. And so today, I. This is one of the reasons why I feel like I spent all day yesterday and today just in this moment of grief because of the loss of this young woman, Rachel Held Evans. Because it is clear that the church is in need of conversion. And she was one of the people doing that work, the hard work of staying. And the conversion is not just about how we use the building or the mission. Though it is about that, things can be two things. But it is also a question about breaking down things like racism and sexism and homophobia, homophobia and the other exclusive tendencies that American Christianity has adapted. Because for younger people, these are non-negotiable. Rachel was providing a place for people not to leave the church but to hang out for a while and not lose everything. And so this story of the conversion of, of Paul is the story that hangs with me in my own faith so often. This this story that I just can't quite get out of my head, so much so that it's become a prayer for me. I pray every day that I might be converted by the Christ who comes to meet me on the side of the road who asks, why are you persecuting me? Not because I think I'm going out of my way to be hurtful to others, but because I know that our lives so often get accidentally, inadvertently tangled up with things that hurt other people's lives. And so I ask in my own life that question, oh, Christ, convert me to your way. (laughs) Reveal to me the ways in which I might be hurting others. And I pray it not just for myself, but for the church. Oh God, convert us. Meet us on the road. Reveal yourself in those who are left out, excluded, those who suffer. Show us the ways in which you are with us in this creation by revealing yourself as an ally, as a one in solidarity with those who hurt in our world. So this is the prayer that I lift up today. It is a prayer that the church must constantly turn to. It is one that we cannot avoid. O oh Christ, meet us on the road and make us new. Live in us. Convert us, O oh Christ. Amen.